Oh, crap. It's Hellboy. The animated one. From ten years ago. There's going to be a lot in this episode that you didn't know about. Uh, stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation and storytelling and supernatural things that bump things that go bump in the night. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And I'm so excited to talk about this today, <laughs> even though like Hellboy Sword of Storms is not the best thing ever made. Um, I am just a closet Hellboy fan. Like sitting on my bookshelf in my living room right now is every Hellboy World trade paperback comic ever published. So I have like a whole shelf of just thousands and thousands of pages of Hellboy comics because I love, 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 love Hellboy. And no film, film adaptation, live action or animated has ever been particularly great. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that. Just as, um, just as pre, just to kind of dial things back a little bit. <laughs> take all the expectation and excitement I just set you up with and just remove that. Just let that go. Just don't expect too much from Hellboy Sword of Storms. <laughs> so for those people who may be frequent listeners to Writers Get Animated, but may not be Hellboy fans, can you please tell us a little bit about who Hellboy is, what Hellboy is? I'm going to try and keep it to a little bit because I could tell you so much. <laughs> so just sticking to the characters in this thing we're talking about today and what's relevant. Uh, Mike Mignola is the creator of the Hellboy comic from 1993, I think was his first appearance at like a Comic-Con one-off thing. Um, so it's been around 25-ish years, almost 25. Um, and it's creator-owned, which means it doesn't have this confused mythology like Marvel and DC heroes are. It's just this wonderful horror adventure comic series, one continuing plot line. Um, Hellboy kind of came to Earth at the end of World War II. It was like this demon summoned and these American soldiers found him, decided to raise him as their own instead of killing him. Cool, there's Hellboy. He's this little boy from hell who's raised as an American. Great. Um, and then the other characters you get, the classic triumvirate of the BPRD, the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense, BPRD, um, are two other supernaturally powered beings there's abe sapien who's this fish person who <laughs> unlike unlike the guillermo del toro movies does not have psychic powers get that out of your head if you've seen guillermo del toro movies there's no psychic fish involved he's just a fish guy and liz sherman who uh, is isn't that enough isn't being a fish enough i mean he's not really a fish he's an alien but uh, I, not I, really an alien he's a victorian researcher who got trapped in an alien egg and turned into an alien fish person hybrid who's now becoming the superhuman that will usher in the new age of man. There's the Ape Sapien arc. Have fun. <laughs> if you didn't think I was already nerdy from being a co-host on a podcast about writing an animation, here's the full Pandora's box of Mackenzie's nerdiness. I know everything about Hellboy. Um, and then Liz Sherman is um, this pyrokinetic girl. She controls fire. She related to Jay Sherman? No. Oh. This is before Jay Sherman. She was introduced before Jay Sherman into the world. 
I Maybe was, not to your mind, because no one knows Hellboy like I do. I, I was just curious. I just didn't know if if Sherman. You don't hear many Shermans out there, so you don't. Um, and they all work for at the BPRD. Kate Corrigan, who is not in the Guillermo del Toro movies, and Kate Corrigan is just this regular, plain old human woman, who is like a previous academic of fairy tales and folklore. Cool. Positioning Hellboy sort of storms in the universe. Guillermo del Toro, many people value what he did. Not at all what's in the comics. Completely different than what happens in Hellboy comics. The Hellboy animated movies, Sword of Storms and Blood and Iron from 2006 and 7. Mm -hmm. Directed and co-written by Tad Stones, at least the first one. Um, are closer to what's in the comics and closer to capturing that feel of the early stories. Yet somehow they also use the world and design and even actors from the Guillermo del Toro films. Definitely the same actors. Um, Hellboy doesn't say much in this, partly because he doesn't say much in the comics and probably partly because they couldn't afford Ron Perlman's voice for that much. (laughs) He I am Groot's it with oh crap a number of times. Hellboy's catchphrase. Uh, and we're talking about this today because Mike Mignola recently announced they're rebooting the Hellboy film franchise. So there's no better time than now to revisit the cartoons and why I think this animated feature is a proof of concept as to why Hellboy would work as a TV show. And I think better than a movie. Even though, even though they're going to do a, a movie. Who Do you know much about the, the movie that's going to be coming out, the reboot? It's just recently announced. We know that Neil Marshall, from who is a director from the movie The Descent and a couple Game of Thrones episodes, is directing, and that David Harbour uh, from Stranger Things will be starring as Hellboy. And it will have an R rating. Thanks, Deadpool. But I think that's fine. It'll be more violence and, like, Deadpool humor. Some Deadpool humor. Possibly. I think, uh, well, this is something that we'll talk about in terms of and we talked a little bit about it with in our episode WTF, where we discussed shows having crazy concepts and how you get those to work. Because this is a somewhat outlandish concept. It's pulp. It writes itself. It imagines all the pulp things you can and combines it into one. Hellboy at its finest is the cross-section of Nazis, Lovecraftian horrors from the deep, demons from hell, and space aliens. It's those four things mixing together in one story. That's the best of Hellboy. So what is what is that? Tell, tell us a little bit about like the, the best incarnation of Hellboy. Uh, if you have never read the comic and you want to get maybe not an accurate representation of what it is, but... Um, probably a good idea of the best two pages of Hellboy ever told. There's a great short comic called, I think pancakes, which is just young Hellboy on the army base in the sixties with his surrogate father, professor broom. And he's saying, I don't want to eat breakfast. And they say like, well, we made, we made this special thing. It's called pancakes. He goes, I don't like pancakes. And they say, you've never had them. He goes, I'm sure I don't like them. And they say, try one bite. And Hellboy Jr. has this taste of pancakes. And he says, I love it. And then it flashes to this like 
photorealistic comic of a like this council of demons in hell and pandemonium saying he's tasted of the pancake we will never win him back and that's the end of the story <laughs> <laughs> like that's what hellboy is <laughs> that and more re- true to the comics is a slightly longer short called the corpse which is just hellboy trying to get this corpse back to its rightful grave as the corpse is reciting lines from shakespeare which i included in my thesis for my undergraduate degree also proving how much of a nerd I am. It's like, there, there you go. There's some more of it right there. So, Chris, as someone who... Have you seen the Guillermo del Toro movies? Yes, I watched those. And I had seen both the animated Hellboys, but I think I've read a single Hellboy comic. I can't even remember which one. I think it was something to give me... I think it was my summer of watching the movie and then watch reading source material. Mm. So I think it was my summer of going back to watch like Casino Royale and read Casino. Like I was doing it in different orders. This is how much of a nerd I was. This, <laughs> I was reading them in different orders to see if reading the book before the movie had any real influence on how I felt about the movie and or the book. So I was trying to do it from different genres and I was trying to do it from, I also didn't have a job at the time. So it was really helpful (laughs) to one, fill my time, but also do research into adaptation and figure out how these different things worked and how they structured themselves. Well, as a side note, having just read The Circle before seeing the movie The Circle, I can say reading the book does influence your opinion of the movie because I give that movie way more credit than it deserves. Really? Yeah. But the book is good. Okay. So in your reading slash watching of Hellboy, what is your impression or what was your impression of Hellboy at the time versus your reaction now? Um, I, my... My idea of Hellboy was just trying to sort out the mythology of it because it does feel like it's mythology. And it does something that I like certain stories do, which is, hey, you know all of these stories. Let's say for kicks that they were all true. And taking that fantasy edge to it and adding to it a little bit more. So I think Guillermo del Toro was really a great choice to direct Hellboy because of his merging of fantasy and the real world. I don't know how well he did in terms of interpreting the story, but I think in terms of creating the world, I think I know exactly why they went to him. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it kind of is... A no-brainer in that. I mean, you'd also get. Um, why am I blanking on his name all of a sudden? Um, Ron Perlman. No, of uh, Alfonso Cuarón. Uh. To to you would also get him because he made the perfect Harry Potter film, so he could possibly do. Um, some great work on Hellboy. Just the idea of making something that seems outlandish and impossible grounded, yet still fantastical. 
So I don't know how you're able to do that, to make something seem out of this world, yet of this world at the exact same time. And I was impressed with the prosthetics, but also you just, for me, the whole time I was thinking, how much time did that take? How much time did that take? <laughs> how uncomfortable is that? How is that rubber? Is that like, so for my brain just was asking all the wrong questions while watching the films. Okay. And then watching Hellboy sort of storms. Um, removing I, the rubber from the equation. <laughs> removing the rubber from the equation, I think, was helpful. In animated form, um, it becomes a lot more like gargoyles, mm -hmm. where you buy it. So you have complete buy-in. Your, As we talked before in another episode about robot henchmen and being able to suspend your disbelief, it's a much easier when everything is animated to see everything of the same world as opposed to CGI and all this other prosthetics and everything. It, it just starts to not feel real or right. But I think animation helped it a lot. Yeah, I, think, I agree. I think the story, and we'll get into this, I think the story is was a little weak, but I think in terms of cre the creating of the creation of the world, I think it one-ups the movies in terms of doing that. Yeah, it, it is closer to the source material, but still has the freedom to play around with making up a couple new characters and not adapting a story from the comics. It's its own unique thing. Which, from my view, and you can tell me how wrong I am, in my view, it seems that Hellboy is somewhat of a procedural in the sense that they're just going on case after case, and sometimes they work with different cultures and monsters from different cultures, demons or ghosts from different cultures, and trying to just working with the mythology and fantasy from different cultures a little bit, but being like investigators. So law and order special fantasy unit. Ish. I'd say it establishes very quickly in the comics, a world where that is the norm and what they do. And then it also quickly deviates out of that. Hmm. Tell me a little bit it's about like, that. Well, the introduction is like, here are these paranormal people. They work together at this bureau, and this is what they do. And very quickly in the comic series and in the run, Hellboy actually leaves the bureau and does his own thing, leaving everyone else in their own separate comic series doing other stuff. And it's even then, like, they go on missions, and they have all these in-jokes. Like in Sword of Storms, there's a thing like, um, they say, oh, we can't find Hellboy's tracker. He's not on this planet anymore. And the new guy says, like, what? You guys don't look worried, and they recount all these times Hellboy's previously left the planet and been able to be found. <laughs> and there's a lot of that in the comics of referencing things as if they're everyday, but you never see in the series. So there's this background world where it is a procedural, and they do that. But the stories are often outside of that procedural formula. Mm. Okay. So tell us about the Sword of Storms, the story. Where are we going? What are we getting? 
Ooh, it's a little bit of everything, and it kind of covers a lot of Hellboy at its finest. It gives you the pulp of, like, here's, like, the, the monster of the week at the beginning. You're right. Uh, <laughs> followed by, like, here's this more intricate plot with a different monster of a week from a different culture. Um, and it mixes it in a little bit with the overarching Hellboy mythology of, like, the Agdru Jihad, the seven dragons in one, which they don't call by that name in this movie, but there are the seven dragons that they mention that are coming to life. Spoilers. <laughs> um, and it's... It is a lot of action. It's a lot of action. I don't think it's boring action. I mean, it's from Tad Stones, who gave us, of course, Darkwing Duck. Um, so it's a lot of interesting things happening visually. Um, it is so many individual stories. I feel like it wanted to be a mini series. That you, because it, you want it to be like, um, six 20 minute episodes as opposed to one long 70 minute episode. Yeah. It kind of felt like that for me. Hmm. Um, cause it is like, they have the monsters at the beginning and then they go investigate the one thing. And then Hellboy has like four different episodes meeting different monsters in his dream world. And Abe and Liz are off doing their own thing trapped on an Island and Kate's doing her thing. And then it all comes together. Somehow. In Japan. <laughs> so that, let's talk a little bit about structure here as they, as they go through the storytelling. So for people who hit this as their first Hellboy experience, they give us the, they start off with a narrator with the one minute explanation of where Hellboy came from. Then they move on to a scene that begins without Hellboy that starts off with Abe and Liz. And it, it turns into... I, I think of James Bond when they do this, where it's an action set piece that just gets your heart running fast. It has nothing to do with anything that's actually going to happen in the movie. But mm -hmm. let's see let's see them run after some people. We know you came to see this movie for action, so let's give you what you want, and then we'll start the real story after this. Yeah, it's... Aztec mummies and a giant bad creature. Okay, done. Go. <laughs> Which is a little bit like what I don't understand. I felt like I was missing something. And I knew what they were doing. You know, it's like here's this the end of one story as we begin another. So it tries to show us that this is an ongoing thing, that there's a team. It sets things up that they're exploring different things that we're not just telling one case, that this is an ongoing case, and maybe at the end we'll get the next case starting, which is why yeah. I would, but it's But at the same time, I was like, what am I getting from this experience? And this is the same thing that I have in terms of questions on James Bond. It's like, what are you doing to the characters in this opening that gets them prepared or hopefully unprepared for the adventure you're actually going to take us on. And it, I think if the beginning had been positioned better, like they sprinkle in some information throughout the opening sequence, but if they 
moved some of it to the beginning, it would have been better. If it opens with Abe and Liz going into the tomb and saying, like, okay, let's find our missing agents. We don't know where Hellboy and so-and-so are. And then they find the skeleton, which in the actual movies where they say, like, oh, I guess we know what happened to this agent, and you figure out they're on a rescue mission at that point. Mm-hmm. If they just put it at the beginning, explain why they're not with Hellboy, what they're looking for, what's going on. You don't need much information to go off of, but they don't no. give you any. If, if you they walk in and say, I don't know, do you think we'll find him alive? Or, you know, I don't know, something. Just something that says what they're up to. Because they're, they're straight into character chit-chat, and I don't even know who they are yet. I mean, yeah, hopefully they're, they're hoping that people who saw the first movies are watching this, so they're kind of giving it a shorthand. But at the same time, I'm like, if this was my first time watching, what are you giving me? What are you telling me about this? And I don't think that every movie has to be made as if it's the first time you're experiencing a material. Mm-hmm. But I think asking questions about what is it like if this was your first experience would change the way that things get structured and might help you structure it a little better. I think a good thing to compare this to as we're talking about it is something we talked about a long time ago. Uh, which is the Disney cartoon show Guardians of the Galaxy right now. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same concept of, here's a movie that was successful, let's do an animated spinoff that's not in the canon but has the same plot. And we have similar criticisms of Guardians of the Galaxy of a show, although I think it also has a lower quality to it. <laughs> right. A little than bit. Than this 10-year-old animation. <laughs> <laughs> so... What What is the story? Now, once we get through the Aztec mummies and they all get burned by Liz and Liz saves the day, which I thought was going to come back in some way because that feels like a giant thing. It feels like a massive character decision that is going to have repercussions later and then it fizzles out, so to speak. Uh-huh. I think it would have. I think the the two Hellboy animated movies suffer from it being planned as at least three. And there are kind of some of these through lines that build a little bit, but don't build. And I think that the Liz thing would have eventually come back if they'd done more movies. I'm not saying I'm not defending the choice of what happened. I just think that was their intent. To bring it back in a later film? Yeah. Mm. Because it is much more important in the comics. Like many things. So, what do we get? What's the real story about? So we get this, like, Saturday morning cartoon show, Shut Up. Shut Up? Sh- uh, sh- shut up. up. Shut Up. Of a professor of Japanese mythology unwrapping this mysterious package and reading a scroll and getting possessed by shadows... And they're going to find the sword that'll free, like, these Japanese demon gods, thunder and lightning. And he goes to find the sword, but then runs away. And then Hellboy shows up, and the sword was left there on the ground, unguarded. So he picks it up. This plot holds already, I know. Um, And then Hellboy goes into this spirit world 
adventure beating demon after demon, which he must defeat to solve the emotional mystery of these ancient Japanese ghosts that never forgave each other. And there's a lot of, like, it draws from real Japanese mythology. They're all, like, Japanese mythological things. Some of them better known than others. Right. Uh, and you or I probably don't know as much about them. Like, I do happen to know about the cucumber-loving sea turtle hulk. Um, it, the kappa. I do know that one. Before, outside of Hellboy, I knew that. <laughs> it's got water in its head. It can't spell its water, duh. <laughs> Everyone knows this, Chris. <laughs> so there's, there's a high level of entry for this show and like knowing <laughs> the stakes and the mythology around some of these creatures because it pulls from real life, but it's the less known mythology. And so it sometimes expects you to know things and sometimes expects you to not know them. Yeah. And I... Yeah. I felt left behind a lot. And I, mm -hmm. in terms of, I think the thing that I would have been okay with is understanding what the characters were after. In we, we like to say, you know, what is their objective? What's their big thing that they're learning? What's, what are they going for? But I think if, I had known what Hellboy was about or struggling with general, you know, in general, what's his big thing that he's dealing with. And then it may have made the smaller arcs a little better. And I don't, I don't know how much that's present in the comic or if there's any big themes about what Hellboy's experiencing or what he's learning or what he's trying to deal with. In the comics. Oh, are, there? are there really? Oh, are there? There's so much. So much. I mean, spoilers at this point, Hellboy's actually dead, so he's not part of the Hellboy universe anymore. <laughs> what? <laughs> it goes on. He's not there. Um, Hellboy's major arc in the comics is that he's got that stone hand. Right. Which is supposed to be the key to unlocking, like, hell, essentially, to bring demons out to rule the surface of Earth once more. And so he's dealing with not wanting to be a bad guy, wanting to keep on living and making a difference, but this ultimate thing that everyone wants him to unlock hell and rule the world as Satan's son. And so his struggles with fatherhood, and he had Professor Broom, his surrogate father as a human, who he really liked, and then his actual father, some evil demon, Azrael, or whichever one it is, um, and being like him, and all these mythological creatures and demons expecting him to, like, bring about their golden age and he doesn't want that he wants to help humans that's his back and forth and he's ultimately trying to find friendship and peace and knowing that he did a good thing and it comes together in such a beautiful way after like 20 years of hellboy being in it and now it's probably been a few years since he died off and there's other arcs. abe has his own like am i ushering the new age of man arc and liz has this whole self-control arc which they hint at in this movie but it she kind of has this, like, Marvel's the Hulk arc of, like, oh, I'm struggling with this power and I don't like it. And then ultimately realizes I should be angry all the time mm. and becomes this, like, Dark Phoenix type person. Hmm. But that's not in this movie. No. It's not If it's not on the page, it's not on the 
stage screen storyboard. Right. So I think, and, and that's the thing we have in this story, we have the setup of villains, two demons who are trying to escape and take over the world. Oh goodness. So, the, or get their revenge on people, on the samurai who trapped them in a sword. And also the father whose daughter was going to be given to the demons, but the samurai wanted to marry the daughter, so he trapped the demons in his sword. Is what we're dealing with. So, but in that sense, we have two demons. And anytime you hear the word demon, you think Hellboy. He's a demon. So what is he dealing with as we see some more demons trying to do bad? And how much does he know about these particular demons? How, does he, how much does he know about anything that's going on with them? Um, he kind of goes into the action of this really bullheadedly. He just runs in there, grabs a sword, ends up in the spirit world, which starts to feel like a little bit of uh, avatar feeling when you end up in a world that is a parallel world, parallel spirit world where you're sort of in the same place, but you're not really in the same place, but you're on a different plane of existence and things could kill you here. And it's really scary and things. But he seems to just not get that things are dangerous. And it just feels like, I don't want to say that he feel, seems dumb, but he's, it just seems like you just fall into trap after trap, Hellboy. And yeah. I don't know if that's something from the comics that he always finds himself in trouble. Pretty much, yeah. But If it can go wrong, it will go wrong, and he'll never expect it. And I think, but it's, it's trying to figure that out. He, he ends up in all these dangers, but I, it feels like he's just falling for stuff and just walking along. Not, and it's not like he's walking along and ends up in something. It's he just trusts the wrong person. Or you don't see him look at anything skeptically or carefully. He just kind of takes things at face value. And in this, it looks like we have five main traps and dangers that he has to deal with in 70 minutes. So we have the overarching demons, which I'm not counting in the five. We have the demons, demons and dragons acting as the, the thing that's causing the major conflict. If it, Not related to bats and mummies. Right, not related to that. So we have, while Hellboy's in the spirit world, he deals with the floating heads that try to eat him. He deals with the spider mother who tries to feed him to her spider children. We end up with the cucumber-loving sea turtle Hulk, as you said. Um, my phrase, my phrase. You called it by its real name. Do you think that's where the Koopa came from? Is that like a play um, on to Kappa? a certain degree? Yeah, yeah. Okay. 
Um, and then there's the long-necked women whose necks go crazy long and try to trap him so they can get him. And then we have a giant skeleton and zombies that he has to conquer. And it feels like none of them build into this one's harder than the last one, or it's not seen as I'm working towards something, trying to get somewhere, and now I have to get through this. It just seems like I'm wandering. Oh, now I've ended up here. Whoops, now I've ended up here. As opposed to him trying to specifically get somewhere or figure something out. Yeah, it's not like... I think a similar feel to this is Kubo and the Two Strings with its different trials for the different things. But those do build. And this is just Hellboy filling time with Japanese mythology. And for Kubo, Kubo's trying to retrieve specific things from specific places. Um, Hellboy has the sword. What we know about the sword and what he's told about the sword is he has to destroy the sword to return back to his world. But also, if he destroys the sword, he'll let loose the demons. That's all we know. We don't know. There's no mystery for him to solve beyond that. Mm -hmm. There's no personal mystery. There's no other mystery. And I think maybe part of it could have been fixed if it weren't just him. Yeah. That, that could have been a possibility. Him being on his own, all, he, all that's left for him is to punch things. I would have loved to have seen him and Kate go on this adventure together. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. They could have had conversations. Yeah, this didn't have the emotional depth that you'd expect out of like a feature-length thing. Uh, it didn't have anything emotional yeah. in it at all. There was... It yeah, was, there's some weird Abe Liz stuff. Yeah, but you can't... That's not really emotional. I mean emotional as in something actually happening for the characters internally that is manifest on the screen mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> really? What nice things do you have to say about this, Chris? No, no. Um, the movie was pretty. <laughs> it, it felt like Avatar and Batman together. It was really fun um but i think as a character i don't know who hellboy is and it didn't make this film didn't make me want to watch and i did but this film didn't make me want to watch the next one because i i have in the past i remember watching the last one because i was just curious about hellboy but not from this movie I remember watching them when they first came out, but having revisited this and watching this, I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like, yeah. I, I don't need to know anything else if that's what it is. And I, again, would defend this as proof of concept of why Hellboy would work as like a 22-minute episode serialized thing. I think the potential's there. Trim down the action. Really hammer down who the villains of the week are. Um, add some emotional change to it. What what could have been added as our Hellboy scholar? What what really? could have been added? 
to this to give it a little bit more strength. I think Hellboy's always struggled with friends in the comics, so I think that he could have... I wanted to see him come in and... The emotional arc I'd love to see in a Hellboy animated TV show would be Hellboy having not just co-workers, but having them develop into friends because he's been alive for like 50 years at this point. He's old. It's hard to imagine, but he's been around since like 1945. Um, so going from co-workers to friends, but then also developing deeper friendships. Like in the comics, he and Kate have a very close relationship and then deciding like what... How does he have these friends, but also like justify the fact that he may eventually end the world? Hmm. having that internal struggle. And I want to see Abe want to know where he comes from. And I want to see Liz deal more with her powers because her background is that she has been taken in by the Bureau because she couldn't control her powers and she killed her whole family accidentally. Hmm. So, and I think if they're dealing with the fact that he could destroy the world. I think in something like this, where there are other characters who are actively trying to destroy the world, I don't know how much they know about who he is, who they are, what he is. That there could be that, if not an internal conflict, that them trying to access something in him to yeah. manipulate him on their side. And the best, yeah. I mean, the best moment for me was something that wasn't quite earned, which is when he breaks the sword. Mm. I mean, that is, it's a really good scene. And then it's cool to see a sword bleeding and it's, <laughs> it's cool that he got tricked into it. But I think there's also a character thing that's missing to give it an extra, extra, extra level to just ramp it up a little bit more. Right? Yeah. I think it's at a seven. It could have taken it up a little bit higher. I think seven is still generous, but okay. It is still generous, but it was a good moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. There's Art. potential here. I see potential. It was artfully done. I just liked the person disappearing and then smashing it on a rock. It was just really well done. Art, artfully done. But the, the writer in me was like, well, it could have been better if there was something that, if he knows that if he breaks the sword, if we make it worth it. Right. What does he see as worth risking breaking the sword to strike at? Right. Because I can see him trying to protect the sword. That that's what they're after is trying to break it and trying to break it. And for him to then start to use the sword. So if he doesn't use the sword this whole time and just tries to protect it, and then finally he takes it out to use it to defend himself and defend something or someone else and then that's when it breaks and maybe he sees it start to break that may have been something a little stronger that i see it starting to break but this is more important i'm going to keep going mm -hmm. and then it does 
Like I think we're we're missing intention on his part. Yeah. The the basic characters of the Hellboy world are all there, but they don't have their basic interactions that they do. Mm-hmm. That didn't translate onto the screen in this case. Got it. That's my final word. <laughs> so do you have any, what was your favorite thing from this? I just said my favorite thing, but what was your favorite thing? Uh, I love Kate Corrigan as a whole in the comics in here. She's not in the Guillermo del Toro movies at all, which is so sad to me. Um, but there's this wonderful one-liner of she's talking about like, oh, I met so-and-so presenting at a conference with my paper on trolls. And Hellboy says like, I'm sorry to take you away from your exciting life of presenting papers on trolls. And she just has this witty comeback of it's okay. Now I get to work with one. <laughs> I think it's so Kate. I love her. She's sassy, but can totally hold her own with all these paranormal things <laughs> and knows more about them than they do. <laughs> Do you have, if any, a favorite thing? Well, like I said, I think my favorite was just the moment of actually breaking the sword. That, in terms of the animation around it, um, the my other, I did have another small thing that I thought was really interesting, which was when it was nice and scary, where the. The one professor who's been possessed, I don't know by whom, but mm. you see him and then his there's lightning and his face just flashes to be the demon that's inside of him. It was just really good. And I think if they had kept it like that, where it's something internal instead, instead of, of obvious, instead of obvious at the point, it could have been something else that was a little more interesting. Or if they had more time to build it into something a little more um, to build from the less obvious to the obvious more s- subtly, but they were dealing with a short amount of time. Yeah. <sighs> well, that is our, the only Hellboy we get to talk about on writers get animated um, because of animated <laughs> because of animated, but as uh, the resident Hellboy nerd, um, that's one thing I have up on Dr. Rochelle Riggs-Leva. I am our resident Hellboy nerd. <laughs> um, I do encourage you to check out the comics and enjoy all the insanity that is there. Uh, yeah. Well, I will, I will promise to you that I will read some Hellboy. Yes. Very soon. There's one. There's Everybody one. Everybody gets one. <laughs> Should we talk homework time? Let's. For your homework, we're going into something completely different (laughs) from Hellboy. Um, We're going to be talking about when inanimate objects uh, come to life Mm -hmm. in in animation, not necessarily in real life, like have happened in certain movies or whatever. So... Your homework for next time, should you choose to accept it, is to watch The Brave Little Toaster and to watch the Pixar short Luxo Jr. Classic. We will be talking about some other examples out there, but if you want to be in on the conversation, those are the two ones that we would recommend watching. 
As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer, and also to Jacob Reed for our theme music. Um, if you have any questions about anything we've talked about, because it's pretty dense and I've said a lot, uh, you can check out all of our show notes on writersgetanimated.tumblr.com. You can tweet questions at us on Twitter, at WGAnimated. Um, and you can, what's the other place? Oh, you find us on Facebook, the thing we do. Uh, Facebook.com slash WGAnimated. And if you're kind, you can leave us a review on one of any number of podcast apps that are out there, I'm sure. There's at least iTunes you can leave us a review. I'm, I don't know much about other reviews, I'm going to be honest. But <laughs> if you can find a place to review us, you should do it. It helps other people find us, which is always fun. And um, just, it's nice to hear from you. Yeah, we like it. <laughs> That's what I got. I got nothing today. Yeah, I don't have a good, I, I feel like we should just say something like, uh, oh, crap. But Oh, crap. Oh, crap. We're out of episode. Ah, oh, crap. It's the end. Good night, everybody.